we are talking about um, what most churches call members. And uh, we've been talking about the church member of our dreams, but we don't call them members here. We call them owners because members have rights, owners have responsibility. And the person we have found in the Bible who impresses us most as the kind of church member owner we want here at the bridge is Barnabas. His name was Joseph, but he was so encouraging. He was such a blessing to his church that they changed his name and said, we're going to give you a little nickname called Barnabas. It is Barnabas. It means son of consolation or son of comfort or son of encouragement. And we've been looking at how he was so encouraging to that new baby church in Jerusalem. The power of the Holy Spirit had come in the upper room. Men were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to preach. They actually preached in other languages that they didn't even know. And many of the people who were visiting at that time, because it was a time of great celebration and great festivity, and they had come for the Passover celebration, and they were all there, and they heard the message of the gospel in their own language. And the Bible says on the first day, on the day of Pentecost, cost 3,000 people accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And so a church was born, and in that church was Barnabas. And a lot of people were already there, but when the revival broke out, it caused a lot more people to come see what was going on. So there were a lot of people with no hotel rooms and no food, and they just were hungry for a real relationship with God, and they had heard about the supernatural things that were happening in Jerusalem, so they came. So Barnabas looks around, he sees a lot of stress, he sees a lot of um, oppression, he sees a lot of persecution from the established church in that area. You know, when the established church sees God do something fresh and new, they often don't like it. Did y'all know that? And so these Pharisees didn't like it, and the scribes didn't like it, and the Sadducees didn't like it. And the reason they called them Sadducees is because they were sad, you see. And so, and so um, he's seeing this go on, and Barnabas is seeing the Roman government get involved and bring persecution, and the Pharisees are bringing persecution, and the legalists and the church establishment. And so Barnabas says, what can I do to encourage somebody? Because we've learned, we've learned that one of the enemy's biggest weapons against you is discouragement. It is discouragement. You know, Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall. If you want to go to the Old Testament, later, not now, he was rebuilding the wall, and the enemy sent people to discourage him. They said, this wall that you're building around Jerusalem, if a fox were to run across it, it would fall down. They came to mock. They came to discourage him. They, they said the job's too big. All through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the enemy using the weapon of discouragement. There are people sitting right here, right now, in this worship auditorium, who it was hard for you to even get up and come this morning because you got junk going on in your life that's beating you up. And I want to tell you that it is the trick of the enemy. He is trying to get you to focus on that and doubt God and doubt God's deliverance and doubt God's freedom and doubt God's mighty hand of power in your life. And the reason the enemy works so hard to discourage us is because when we're discouraged, we're paralyzed. 
And when we're encouraged in the Lord, we think we can do anything. Isn't that true? And the enemy hates that kind of faith. He hates that kind of enthusiasm. He hates that kind of encouragement. Paul said to a local church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he said, Guys, whatever you do, when you see people discouraged, comfort them. He knew the power of discouragement. So here is uh, Barnabas, and he's asking, What can I do? What can I do to be an encouragement to my church? We want you to ask that. We want you to ask that. You might say, well, I don't go to this church. I'm, vis I'm visiting from another church. Then be that to the church you're a part of. You might say, I'm not in any church. I'm actually kind of looking for a church. Well, we hope you found it today. We hope you found it. We hope you'll stay with us. But if you don't and God takes you somewhere else, be an encouragement where you go. Ask yourself, how can I be an encouragement in my local church? How can I be an encouragement to somebody on my job? How can I be an encouragement to someone in my family? How can I be an encourager? How can I be a Barnabas to people around me? Because if you'll sow that, you'll reap it when you need it. And so here's Barnabas, and he sees this stress and oppression. He sees the church in financial trouble. So he says, First one, first blank in your notes there, we find out that encouragers are people who lift the burdens of other people. So he sold a piece of land and gave the money to the church and helped to lift the burden of other people. And we talked about that. By the way, just to remind you, our media team is so awesome. They uh, get these sermons online. You can go watch them. And uh, after a while, when they take the video part down, you can go and listen to sermons years and years and years back and so we just encourage you guys to do that so if you missed any of the sermons in this series you can listen to them free they're actually on iTunes and you can download them and burn your own CD how about that so we just want to put those resources in your hands so I hope you'll go back and listen to the parts of this message that you missed but he lifts the burdens of others then we found him take Saul who later became Paul, and, and of course he had been a persecutor and now he's a Christian and so he's kind of in no man's land. I mean, his old friends don't want him because he's a Christian now and the church doesn't want him because he was such a horrible persecutor. And so here comes old Barney. Here comes old Barnabas. And let me just tell y'all, I need to clarify something that was preached last week. I referred to Barney. And some people here thought I was talking about a purple dinosaur. Let me just set the house this morning, Pastor Scott. Whenever I'm talking about Barney, it's Barney Five. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Matter of fact, his official name is Bernard P. Five. But today when I talk about Barney, I'm probably going to be talking about Barnabas. And Barnabas comes along, and he takes Saul by the hand. He says, first of all, I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend. How many of you know friendship is a risk? Loving somebody is a risk. I mean, sticking your hand out there and saying, I'm going to love you, you can get nailed on your nail with the hammer. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody here ever risk love? And you just put it out there and love somebody? And they just abandon you. That's painful, isn't it? That's painful. But you can't ever stop. 
as painful as it is to risk loving somebody and get hurt, you got to keep risking love. Because if you don't, you'll isolate yourself. You'll, you'll become a bitter, angry person. So look at what Barnabas does here. He goes, you know, I've heard Saul teach. He's awesome. I believe he's a man of God, but I really haven't known him that long. But you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and risk this. And he became the friend of Saul and then connected Saul with the church and vouched for Saul to the Christians. And so they embraced him because of who? Barney. Barnabas. The third thing we found out last week is that he bridges the gap. Encouragers bridge, bridge the gap. Because revival came in Jerusalem and persecution came in Jerusalem. And because persecution came in Jerusalem, the Bible says a lot of the people who got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem left. They scattered because of the persecution. And some of them went to Antioch. And the Bible says that on their way to Antioch and after they got to Antioch, they were preaching and they were teaching and they were saying what God had done in Jerusalem. So guess what happened in Antioch? People started giving their heart to Christ. People were filled with the Holy Spirit in Antioch just like they were in Jerusalem. But this time it wasn't just Jews, it was Gentiles. And so the, the upper echelon, I mean the apostolic leaders of that baby church in Jerusalem said, hey, Barnabas, you've got to go check out what's going on in Antioch. We keep hearing about some stuff going on there. We don't know if it's real. We don't know if it's God. We don't know what's going on. We don't know if some false teaching has come in. We don't know what's happening. We do know it doesn't look quite like what happened here in Jerusalem, so we need you to go investigate it. And the Bible says Barnabas went to Antioch, investigated it, discovered it was God, took this group by the hand, the new contemporary church. Y'all with me? And went back to the old traditional church in Jerusalem and brought them together and bridged the gap. Now let's look at two more things today, and this is the final message in this series. The fourth thing I want you to notice, and you can write this down in your notes, this is your first blank you're going to fill in today, is that Barnabas teaches us that encouragers are disciple-makers, Encouragers are disciple makers. Do you know, guys, I want you to listen to this. Do you know that there is nowhere in the Bible that Jesus told us to go out and make converts? He nowhere in the Bible are you commanded to just go out and win the loss to Jesus Christ. You say, whoa, time out. I've, been, I've heard that all my life in the church. You might have, but that is not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't go out and say, get people to come to me and get people to be born again and get people to be saved and witness to people. That isn't what he said. What Jesus said was go out and make disciples. You say, well, you can't make a disciple of anybody until they first give their heart to Christ. Then you make a disciple of them. Did you know that if you'll study your Bible very carefully, you will discover that leading a person to Jesus Christ is the first step of discipleship. So he is calling us to make disciples. Now I want to go ahead and tell you this morning, you're going to be hearing a whole lot about this in the days to come. 
You're going to be hearing a whole lot of teaching about this and a lot of challenge about this in the days to come here at our church. But let's talk about how Barnabas did that. Look in Acts 11, and you've got it if you've got your notes there in front of you. I've got the verse right there for you to look at. I saw some old people squinting, so I made the font just a little bigger. <laughs> um, Acts 11, verse 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to find who? Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and that's where that big revival was. That's where all those people were getting saved. That's where all these new Christians were. And look what he says. Then for a whole year, they met together, that is Barnabas and Paul, met together with that church at Antioch and taught a large crowd. You know what that's called right there, boys and girls? That's discipleship. That's discipleship. It was in Antioch that the disciples were first given the name what? Christians. Christians. Followers of Christ. Barnabas understood, and this is something we have to understand as a church today. We've got to get hold of this. Barnabas understood, as we should, that new believers need to be taught. But not only do new believers need to be taught, I run into some folks that have been believers a long time, and you don't have to be in a discussion with them very long to know that they don't know much more about God and His Word than they did when they first came to know him. Isn't that true? New believers, baby believers. You can still be a baby and have been a Christian a long time. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, one of the mistakes the church has made is that we have assumed that a person who has been a Christian a long time is more mature than a person who has not been a Christian very long. That is not true necessarily at all. If a person comes to Christ and in their first year they dive in to the Word, they dive into service, they get a mentor with them, they get a discipler with them, and they, they get in a group. That's why we did the series on uh, uh, Circles Are Better Than Rows. And they get into that and they begin to dig in that Word and they begin to they go, I don't know, but I'm going to find somebody who knows and I want that person to pour into my life. That person can grow more in one year than some Christians have grown in 20 years. So maturity is not how long you've been a Christian. Maturity is based on your pursuit of God. So Barnabas doesn't see Saul. This is so important. He doesn't see Saul for what he was in his past. Notice what Barnabas does. We're talking about him as an encourager. He saw, he saw Saul's or Paul's God-given gifts. He saw that Paul had a gift. Barnabas discerned, Barnabas observed and realized this Paul guy, this guy who was Saul, who's now Paul, this guy is gifted. This guy is talented. And he began to think, now how would God use Saul? And he figured, you know, I've seen him teach and he has an uncanny ability to make the Bible come alive. He has an uncanny ability to make the Old Testament 
sync up with the coming of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. And so this Paul is able to cause the Jews to see that Jesus is the Messiah and he is really helping people grow and he's really, really gifted. And so Barnabas, I mean, he's already talked to the church about Paul's intellect. You remember when he, remember when Paul was isolated out there in no man's land? Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the church and told the church, he said, man, this guy's brilliant. He said, he's brilliant, he's educated, his background, his pedigree is untouchable, and he has the gift to teach, and more than that, he was on a road to Damascus and he met Jesus. That's the most important thing, isn't it? And so he told the church that, and then Barnabas now at this point goes back to Tarsus, finds Saul, and I just kind of wrote this down. I think he said something like this to him. I think he said, hey, Saul, revival's broken out in Antioch, and listen, man, there are thousands of new Christians, and they are hungry. They are hungry to learn. And I tell you, man, I'm fearful, I'm concerned that some false teachers might come there and take advantage of them. So we need to really get in there and teach them and get their roots down. And I've been watching you. I mean, they need a teacher and you're the guy that can do it. I've already seen you do it. Listen, man, God has given you a skill. He has given you amazing insight into his word and you have a great ability. What is Paul, what what is Barnabas doing when he's talking? to Saul like that. He's encouraging him. He's encouraging him. He's saying, listen, I want you to go back there with me to Antioch. I know you've been ministering here in Tarsus, but I really feel like God would have you go back with me and teach these new Christians in Antioch. I mean, man, you can disciple them. And not only can you disciple them, but you can teach them in a way that they'll become disciple makers. The Bible says Saul did it. And the Bible says that Saul, listen to me now, that Saul did such a great job. I mean, he infused Jesus into these new Christians so much that this is the first place they were ever called Christians. Isn't that powerful? See, first Barnabas finds new Christians like Saul. Then he finds their hidden talents, he finds their buried gifts, and he develops them and brings them out and affirms them and encourages them. And we got people like Saul sitting right here in this church every week. We got people sitting right here every week, and they are talented, they need to be found, they need to be encouraged, they need to be developed, they've got hidden gifts and hidden talents that our church desperately needs in order to do what God's called our church to do, and it takes a Barnabas heart to find these people. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, I don't know whether y'all know or not, but I'm uh, 56 years old, In February of next year, I will be celebrating 40 years in the ministry. Isn't that amazing? I became a pastor. I became a minister. Thank you. I became a minister when I was six. I became a minister when I was 17 years old. When I was 17 years old, graduated from high school and went to business uh, school at Wayne Community College, and I had a vision of building, because there was nothing to do in Goldsboro. Can I get an amen? There's nothing to do in Goldsboro. And I just felt like, man, I'm going to build this, 
I'm going to build this place for kids to come. And I just had this business idea in my mind, and I've always been a visionary, and I had this whole business idea in my mind, and I'd been going to school for one quarter for one quarter, and God just filled me with the Holy Spirit and called me to be a preacher, and I've been a preacher since I was 17 years old. And so here's my whole point. We got people, we got young people sitting right here who have way more talent than I do, and buddy, I'll walk up to anybody anytime. I have no problem with it. I'll walk up and go, listen, you're able to do something I'm not able to do. You're good at something I'm not good at. And man, we, we could use you on the team to fill a gap. What if all of us as a church prayed for that Barnabas heart so that we could recognize giftings in people and that we could lower our pride and have enough humility to go up to them and say, you're better at this than I am? So here's what I'd like to do. I might be the head of this ministry, but I recognize that you are better at this than I am. So, man, I'm going to, I'm going to, I've already talked to pastor, because you have to do that first. I've already talked to pastor, and he agrees with me that you would be awesome. And I want to just kind of step back and become your assistant. And I want you to take this over. I mean, I feel like I've taken it as far as I can. And I know God sent you to our church to kind of take this thing and take it to another level. How many of y'all know that takes a lot of humility right there? It takes a lot of humility. But man, that's what Barnabas is doing right here. He's looking at Saul saying, Saul, you can do stuff I can't do, man. I mean, we don't really read much about Barnabas in the Bible. There's only a few pages in the Bible that have his name on it. Barnabas is happy for Paul to shine while his star fades in the background. Oh, oh man. How many churches have fallen apart because people got in positions of power and said, I, this is mine. Nobody can have. How many churches have fallen apart because pastors who were senior pastors stood in the pulpit and there was a time when they were effective. There was a time when God had his hand on them. There was a time when they were the man, but it came time for them to move on and hand that mantle to somebody else and they would not do it because of ego and because of fear. And that church, all of a sudden, it's at its peak and all of a sudden it begins to... Anybody ever seen that happen? I mean, here's Barnabas right here, and he's going, Paul, listen, dude, come do it. I, I don't mind being second fiddle. You get up there. I'll stand behind you. I'll stand behind you. It doesn't say anywhere that Barnabas was such a great teacher. He, he probably was because it does say in this text I just read to you that he and Paul taught, but that was probably more of a thing for people to go, well, I know this Barnabas guy, but I don't really know this Paul. So I can see Barnabas kind of get up there and talk about some things. and go, I'm going to let Paul explain this to you. And then he backs off and Paul comes up there, bam. And everybody's like, who is that guy? And all of a sudden, Everybody goes, man, I love Barnabas. I mean, Barnabas is awesome. I love him. But this Paul, he is a mighty teacher of God. And Barnabas is so cool with just backing off. I believe I can just see old Barnabas standing behind Paul, Saul, and he's preaching. And I can see old Barnabas just grinning. 
Because see, with Barnabas, it wasn't about him. It was about that new church. It was about the new kingdom of God. Amen? And so the Bible says, he said, I'll play second fiddle. Matter of fact, some of y'all never even heard of Barnabas until I started preaching on him. But I want you to notice this now. Listen to this. Paul, who was discovered and discipled by Barnabas, ended up writing 13 books in the New Testament. Do you think that would have happened if Barnabas had not been there for him? No. The church wouldn't receive him. Barnabas introduced him. Barnabas vouched for him. Barnabas stood in the gap. Barnabas brought these people together. And later on, we're going to talk about another young man in the closing of this message today who Barnabas influenced, and he ended up writing one of the Gospels. So more than, listen to this, more than half, listen to this, more than half of the books written in the New Testament were written by people that Barnabas directly influenced. And Barnabas didn't write a book. There's no book of Barnabas. But because of Barnabas, Paul wrote. Paul. And then Mark, we'll find out later. I love it. I love it, man. For the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of lost souls. Barnabas was happy to be in the background. Just, just affirming and saying, go, man. Be encouraged, be encouraged. Barnabas was a man who knew how to find talent. He knew how to discern. You say, well, I'm not a real good discerner. Well, pray for the ability to discern. Say, God, help me see things. Help me. I pray for discernment all the time. Matter of fact, I want to just say this morning, I thank God. If I can say this without crying. <clears throat> When I was working on this sermon, I got to thinking about all the Barnabases in my life who said, dude, you can do this. I remember, man, I was a poor preacher when I first started. I know what you're going to say. You ain't that good now. I understand that. But if you'd heard me back then, I remember, man, I, I did, all I knew was Moses had a coat of many colors. That's all I knew about the Bible. I I didn't know nothing else. And I remember how I think about teachers and I think about other ministers. I remember, man, I'd get out of Bible college on Friday and I'd come home for the weekend and I'd love to play backyard football and we had a big field down. We played, and I would pray, God, don't let anybody call me and want me to preach this weekend. First of all, I ain't good at it. Second of all, I can't sleep when I got to preach. And third, I like to play football. And so God would always not answer that prayer, and people would call me. Because how many of you know you don't learn to preach till you preach? You can study preaching all you want to. You've got to get up and preach if you want to learn to be a preacher. But I just thank God for the people who whew, put their arms around me. Gave me opportunities to preach. We let young preachers preach here. And sometimes I don't tell about it because if I told you, you wouldn't come. Some of you say, well, if pastor's not preaching or somebody else is not preaching, 
I'm not going. I don't like that, man, because see, those young guys, they need you to let them preach. They need you to let them preach when they can't preach, when they don't know how to preach. So when you hear that our young pastors and our young preachers are preaching and, and our boys that are green and, and stuff and they're going to come up here and preach, don't stay home. I mean, the least little Barnabas thing you could do for them is come sit in a chair and stare at them and pretend you're listening. <laughs> pretend you know what they're talking about. <laughs> Y'all with me on this? I mean, there's too much of this. It's all about me in church. One of the ways you can make it not all about you is go, I don't care who's preaching, I'm going to my church on Sunday. I don't care who's preaching, I'm going to my church on Wednesday night. I don't care who's preaching, I'm going because whoever is preaching is obeying God and trying to fulfill their call and I want to be there to just let them know I'm there and I encourage them. Amen, amen. That's good right there. I'm glad I said that. So God give our church Barnabas's who say, there's this fellow named Saul down there, and I believe, I believe he can do it. Hey, Saul, come here, son. Here's a job you can do. I see it in you, man. Hey, when's the last time you told somebody, hey, listen, don't be discouraged. I see that. I see the gift in you. Somebody needs to hear that from you. Listen, your children need to hear it from you. I see the gift in you. I see the ability in you. I see the anointing on you. I see God's hand on you. I see it. I'm not trying to call you to a particular ministry. I just want you to know I see God on you. You got it. You got it. So Barnabas stood by people, man. He encouraged them. No wonder they called him the encourager. He lifted the burdens of others. He was a friend of the friendless. He vouched for people. He connected people with others. He bridged the divide between people and groups who didn't understand each other, and he was a disciple maker. Let's look at the final thing. I know y'all thought this series was never going to end. Here it comes. Barnabas teaches us finally that an encourager does not view failure as final. An encourager does not view failure as final. Everybody say, failure is not final. Here's another one. Say this one. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Acts 15, let's look at it. Acts 15, let's look at verse uh, 36 through 41. <clears throat> Some days later, Paul spoke to Barnabas. He says, uh, they've already been on a missionary journey. This, this is their second one. He says, let's go back and visit the brothers in every city where we have proclaimed the word of the Lord to see how they are doing, to see how these churches are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, surnamed what? Mark, as their companion. But Paul, how did he disapprove? Strongly disapproved of taking with them a man who had deserted them in the first journey to Pamphylia and was now prepared to go on with them in their work and was not prepared to go on with them in their work. 
Look what it says in this next sentence. Between Barnabas and Paul, let me ask you a question. Are they godly men? Godly men can differ. Godly men can differ. Godly women can differ and still love each other and go on and get the work of God done. There was what kind of clash? Sharp. There's some of this. It was a sharp clash of opinion, so much so that they went their separate ways, Barnabas taking Mark and sailing to Cyprus, while Paul chose who? And set out on his journey, commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers as he did so. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, and strengthen the churches. Paul and Barnabas are now missionary partners, and on their first journey, Barnabas says, hey, uh, Paul, I got this nephew, he's young, but he wants to go with us. He's really interested in missions. He wants to go. Paul goes, fine, go get him, bring him. So they embarked on this journey. Mark quit right in the middle of the trip. He's quit and went back home. He dropped out. There's a lot of speculation about why he dropped out. He may have been too young. Maybe it was a little hard on him, the trip was. He got afraid. Maybe he was homesick. Missed his mama's cooking. Maybe he had a little girlfriend. Maybe he got spiritually discouraged. But he went back home. So now they come up on this second missionary journey, and Paul says, hey, Barney, let's go back and check on the churches, you know. We went and sowed some good seed and preached the Word of God. Let's go back and check on those churches and see how they're doing. And Barney says, fine. He says, I'll get Mark. We'll give him another opportunity. Paul says, no, you won't. Mark is a quitter. I'm not going to be held back by Mark. I can't depend on him. We're not taking Mark. Barnabas says, well, all right. But I tell you what, Paul, there's some good in that boy. Man, when I, when I read that and thought about that, I thought, I wonder how many times, I wonder how many times people have above me, have younger, when I in my yard said, he can't do this, and somebody said, there's, there's some good in him. He's hard to look at, I know, but there's some good in him. He said, I'm telling you, Paul, there, I see something in that boy. I see something in that mark. I know he failed, but I got to tell you, he's not a failure. Just because he failed doesn't mean he's a failure. I want to tell you, he quit, but he's not a quitter. I see some good in him. I think you're missing this one, Paul. Paul goes, well, I, I'm not, I'm not going to have anything to do with him. And these giants of the faith agreed to disagree. The Bible says the contention was sharp. Barnabas took Mark. He said, I tell you what, Paul, I'll take Mark. You go get somebody. Paul took Silas and went their way. Barnabas took Mark, went their way. And they both felt strong about their positions because good men can differ. So Barnabas takes this boy who failed but is not a failure, who got scared but is not a coward, who quit but is not a quitter, who slid back but is not a backslider. And Barnabas, listen to me, stooped down. You remember that? You remember that scripture? 
Galatians 6 and 2, Barnabas stooped down and bore the burden of this young boy. He lifts Mark up. He puts his arm around him, and I can see him look into Mark's eyes and say, hey, come on, John Mark. You got good stuff in you, boy. You're going to do great things for God one day. And because of the son of consolation, because of the son of comfort, because of the son of encouragement, John Mark grew in stature with God. And he wrote the fourth book in the New Testament, the second book in the New Testament. I was going to see if y'all knew. He wrote the gospel according to Mark. So now we go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and we find Paul writing a letter to Timothy from a dark, damp, dirty Roman prison. And he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me in this prison, or really probably Luke was outside the prison and would come visit Paul. He said, I feel the need for Mark. Ain't that just the coolest thing right there? He goes, you remember that young preacher Barnabas wanted us to take on that second missionary journey and I wouldn't do it? Well, I've, I've been hearing about him. I've been I've been writing, you know, he's been writing me. I've been hearing some stuff about him. And I want you to go get him and bring him because he'll be profitable to me in the ministry. You know why? Because Barnabas didn't give up on him. Barnabas didn't give up on Mark. So later when Paul is in prison, guess who he needs? He needs the guy he gave up on, but not old Barney. Well, Barney said, I see something in that boy. Something great in that boy. Bring Mark. I need Mark. Aren't you glad there's a man named Barnabas who found failure, fixed it, and salvaged it? And a great man of God came out of that. Let me tell you all a little story, and then I'm done. Uh, there was a boy, I'll tell y'all a story about a boy whose daddy died when he was five years old. The boy dropped out of school when he was 16. By the time he was 17, he'd already been fired from two jobs. When he was 18, he got married. When he was 19, he had a little baby. And when he was 20, his wife left him. From that time on, he tried to make a living. He tried to be a railroad conductor, and he failed. He got in the Army and got kicked out. He applied to law school, couldn't make it. He tried farming, couldn't grow anything. He tried to be an insurance salesman. He couldn't sell anything. He tried to kidnap his little baby boy so he could just hold him in his arms, and he failed at that. Finally, he got a job as a dishwasher and a cook. Over time, he was able to talk his wife into coming back to him. 
And together in a little cafe, they cooked and washed dishes. At the age of 65 years old, he retired and he got his first monthly Social Security check of $105. He said, I've been a failure all my life. And now the government's going to have to take care of me the rest of my life. He decided he would commit suicide. So he went out in the backyard of the house and got under a shade tree and started writing out his will. I'm sure that didn't take long. He then got to thinking, why should I be such a failure? Why have I been such a failure? I mean, is there anything I can do? Is there anything I know how to do? And then he thought to himself, you know, there's one thing I can do better than most people I know. He said, I can cook. So he went down to the local bank, this is back in the day now, and he borrowed $87 against his next Social Security check. He went down to the supermarket and bought some chicken and some boxes, and he started frying that chicken only the way he could fry it, and he went door to door in Harlan, Kentucky, and in Corbin, Kentucky, selling that chicken door to door, and you already have guessed now who it is. That was Colonel Harlan Sanders. Kentucky Fried Chicken King, at age 65, he was a failure, had been a failure all his life. And at age 65, ready to commit suicide, couldn't do anything right. And I love what the writer said. He said, Colonel Harlan Sanders ceased to be a failure when he decided he was not a failure. He ceased to be a failure when he decided, I'm not a failure. There are people in your life who you need to say that to. You're not a failure. But I failed at everything I've ever done but you're not a failure. When I read that story, I thought, you know, it would make sense if he turned his life around at 25 or he turned his life around at 35 or 45 or even young like me, 56. <laughs> but at age 65, that's when his life turned around. The day he decided, I'm not a failure. That's why God sends Barnabas's along to tell people you're not a failure. You may have failed, but you're not a failure. Who do you need to say that to? Who do you need to encourage? Who do you need to write a letter to? Who do you need to call? Who do you need to send an email to and say, I've been thinking about you, and I know you've been beat up a lot lately, and I know you feel like God doesn't have anything for you, and I know you feel like that everything you touch breaks, but I'm telling you right now, keep going, keep persevering. I'm praying for you. I'll meet you for coffee. I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you. You don't ever know when you're talking to a Saul who might become a Paul. You don't ever know when you're talking to a Simon, which means reed blowing in the wind, who might become Peter the rock. You don't ever know when you're talking to somebody like Mark who might become a great writer or a great preacher or somebody who's going to win a lot of people to Christ. Hey, listen, 
It might not be you that does all that good stuff, but it might be you that's going to be the Barnabas in their life. Who can you be Barnabas to? Who can you be a Barnabas to? That's why we do what we do at the soup kitchen. That's why we do what we do at the, at the prison because we want to say to those who feel like they're nothing, who feel like they're a failure, you're not a failure because with my God, all things are possible.